0: The Minicom show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet, you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks cover two is when you kick dirt to cover your poop. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. I am joined for our third third divisional preview by Mariners legend. TFFs, Steve Palazzolo. Steve, welcome back.
1: Mariner's legend. I like it. Yes. Two, two great months of life back in 2010. But yeah, appreciate you having
0: me. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, uh, Steve was played minor league baseball. Uh, and he is wearing a Mariner's shirt, for those who aren't seeing the visual. Um, more notably... Now, he is one of those of the BFF NFL show, which is an excellent podcast you check out. You, I've had you on. I've had Sam on. I've had you and Sam on together. I'm having you on today to preview the AFC North. I'm kind of bouncing around. Usually, I go AC, NFC, NFC, AFC, whatever, but uh, yeah, I wanted to do the North. Um, interesting division. I think um, most people would probably view this as being kind of a... Two tier division, maybe, but what I think is interesting is you. I do think you can make a case for all four teams to be playoff teams. I would say, I mean, we're coming off the AFC East, which is like the hellscape of the NFL right now. But, Steve, the AFC North, not that far off is, is how I felt after doing this exercise of going through all the depth charts and thinking about these teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the North is really difficult. I thought they were supposed to be, uh, a pretty loaded division last year. And and they were, you know, I mean, like the Browns were were still competitive and the Steelers were very competitive and the Ravens were probably going to make the playoffs if Lamar Jackson didn't get hurt. And of course, the Bengals go to the AFC Championship again. So I, I think it's another year like that where we're at the end of the season, we'll say, you know, was this team actually that bad? They only won seven games. Were they really that bad? Well, no. not really. I mean, they're in this very difficult division. So I think that's the story of the AFC and the North in particular. So I think... There's a lot to be excited about, I think, for all four teams. And yeah, there's a case to be made for all four to potentially make the playoffs. So
0: I figured um, we'll start with the division favorite, the Vegas favorite. The I don't know how far the Ravens are behind the Bengals. Um, I don't think it's that far, though. It's not that far in my estimation, which we'll get into when we get to the Ravens. I'm, I'm very high on both of these teams. Um, but I, I figure we'll start with Cincinnati. Um probably the least amount of change, you know, when you look at these teams and consider some of the personnel addition, subtraction, schematic changes, the Bengals are pretty similar to how they looked last year, maintain, you know, sustain their coaching staff as well, which is a big coup. We'll talk about big coup, big Lou. We'll talk about the defense in a second, but like beginning with the offense, Steve, like, I, you know, just looking at this group, the big change is obviously bringing in Orlando Brown Jr., left tackle, moving Jonah Williams to the right side. Um, as of recording on July 5th, uh, Joe Mixon is still the running back of this team. Uh, we'll see if he – I feel like the most likely outcome is probably just he takes a pay cut and sticks around at this point, although there's still a lot of veterans out there. But by and large, like, do you anticipate there being – many change any or many or some changes for what was obviously a very successful offense last year?
1: No, I mean I think I think they'll be just as good as they were last year. I thought, you know, last year yeah. was was a big year for the Bengals because they they adjusted to the NFL, right? They adjusted to some uh to defenses. We got to see Joe Burrow yeah. have elite production for the second straight year. I think with all young players as much as we live in the social media world where we want to declare greatness right away it's important to see things more than once you know so it's important to see Joe Burrow for the second straight year when they really handed the team to him and and stopped becoming a run first team that he produced for the second straight year and Burrow to Jamar Chase they look unstoppable they answered a great question when Jamar Chase got hurt T Higgins could be a number one Uh, Tyler Boyd comes back healthy this year so the foundation is there for the Bengals to be great with Burrow the pass catchers Orlando Brown stepping in at left tackle, I think the line will be good enough. That's all they need, uh, you know, to produce. And if Mixon is back and, you know, carrying the ball, he's, he's more of an afterthought. But there's certain games, like against the Panthers last year where he was unstoppable. And, you know, that makes the Bengals one of the best offenses in the league.
0: You know, I think because Joe Burrow has been so good so early in his career, we think of this offense as being... the entire time or dominant perhaps the entire time but you touched on something there which is they did change last year and made adjustments as the season went on which i think you know zach taylor probably deserves some credit for as well as well as callahan um but you know the first half of the season last year middle's office wasn't that great (laughs) like there were some pretty ugly games statistically um I, th- I think they were maybe average to even below average in a lot of categories. They really struggled against uh split safety coverages, which is something that Joe Burrow said they had to get better at in the off season. I don't know if you remember that. Yep. Um, and it was kind of interesting because it was like very transparent of him. He was like, yeah, we're not going to face those like, you know, the same amount of man coverage and single like it's, you know, their defenses are going to play us differently. And they did and there was a bit of an adjustment period, but by the second half of the season, um, you know, I, I was just grabbed in the first half. Joe Burrow was 31st in QBR versus cover two in the second half. He shot up to seventh and then, you know, against man coverage, it was like light lights out and everything. But um, I do think it's it, like, when we look at this offense as a whole and we think, okay, like they were great. Of course, they're going to be great. There's still room to grow. Joe Burrow is still, an improving and developing quarterback in the same way that Patrick Mahomes was. And I think we really saw that last season.
1: Yeah. The entire offense really like, you know, they made adjustments and they had games where Jamar chase went from, remember early in the burrow to chase connection. It was like, you know, chase would have these games with three catches and two were touchdowns and they were explosive plays. And they had games where they were like, all right, we're going to go like old school, Randy Moss, Randy ratio. Where it's like, all right, we're going to actually get 15 targets for Jamar Chase by moving him around. You might yeah. not get the explosive plays, but you're just going to get him involved. I think the Bengals just showing the ability to have different kinds of answers. Burrow being able to execute it, and then yeah, I do think Zach Taylor probably gets deserves more credit than he's gotten. You know, it's it's nice to have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins as a foundation, but every time the Bengals. You know, hit a bit of a lull and maybe could have taken a step back over the last couple of years. Zach Taylor got them back on track the next week. They, you know, they played hard for him, even when it looked like, hey, you know, what's going on? Why did we underachieve in this particular week? So, I, I, and then they adjusted to the league like you're, like you laid out with those numbers. So, I, I think Zach Taylor probably deserves yeah. a little bit more credit than he's gotten because it seems easy because you've got Burrow and those pass catchers, but he's know, right. kept them on track and gotten to the AFC championship. And it's going to be tough to maintain that level, but, you know, he deserves credit.
0: Yeah, it seems easy because it's like, you know, we think of bros being this, like, okay, just, you know, put him in the gun, spread it out, let him find mismatches, let him do his pre snap thing. But when you look at the trend lines with this team, you see um, like intentionality and, and changes. You know, yeah, you talked about the usage of chase, another thing that really. Uh, changed last year was their run game evolved pretty dramatically. I mean, they went from an almost exclusively under center wide zone team. They're only in the gun uh, running the ball 27% of the time in 2021 to near the top of the league in downhill runs out of the gun 54% of the time, almost all of that in the second half of the season when they're like, okay, our quarterback's in the gun. We're going to put our running back in the gun. We're going to run more gap stuff. Um, We had Orlando Brown Jr., who was fantastic, on NFL Live, Steve, and I asked him about this, and he basically was like, yeah, I was brought in – this was a big part of the reason why I was brought in. I'm a big body, and they want me moving big bodies, was his quote, which I love because that speaks to like a – it wasn't just like, okay, we're just going to grab the best left tackle available or whatnot. I thought it was a pretty good deal, but it also spoke to like, we have a coherent version vision for how we want this offense and this run game to continue evolving.
1: Yeah, I think it just speaks to like all of us in the media sometimes get caught up in the term system. And you're know, like, you know, here's this offensive system and you just think it's this set of plays, but calling plays on both sides of the ball really is adjusting to what the league is doing, whether it's, you know, defensively adjusting to yeah. new offensive schemes and offensively adjusting to how teams are going to slow you down. You're going to have weaknesses. So how do you, you know, make your weaknesses better or disguise them? Um, and, and again, I, I just want to give the Bengals credit. You know, like it's, it's easy to do it easier to do it with Joe Burrow and with good players, but you still have to do it right. We've seen other quarterbacks and mm-hmm. other passing games have one or two good seasons and then flame out or, or not be able to build on it or whatever it might be. And I think the Bengals, um, honestly, even just when they turned it over to Joe Burrow in the middle of 2021, early in the year, he was only throwing the ball 24, 25 times a game. There was all those games yeah. where they just kept running it and running it. And then all of a sudden they were like, hey, Joe, you're going to throw the ball 50 times this week. And, it, and oh, by the way, it worked. It made sense. And it, they, just that adjustment in 21. So there'll be something else that comes up this year. Totally. Right. There'll be something that comes up where the Bengals have to make an adjustment and we've seen them do it in the past. So you just, it gives you more faith that they can do it again going forward.
0: So uh, Zach Taylor might not get sufficient credit, but Big Lou gets a lot of credit. He's he got his work cut out for him though. Um, you know, if I had a concern about this team, it is not about the offense. We can leave the offense aside Uh, It is about the fact that this is a very, very young secondary, Um, a very, you know, they're going to look pretty different from from the one that uh, Andrew has worked with the last couple of years. Von Bell, Jesse Bates out. Daxton Hill, who was their first round draft pick last year, uh, is going to start alongside Nick Scott, who was with the Rams at safety. Cam Taylor Britt, I assume, is going to be one of the starting cornerbacks. You get Awuzie back. But that's that's it, it's a real youth movement. So like I guess I want to start there kind of back to front. like does that concern you at all? Does that do you think it's going to make things challenging for Anna Rumo, who we know calls pretty complicated defense?
1: I, I think that's the thing. It's not just new players. it's it's new players in a defense that's been very game plan oriented. We know you know way back in the 2021 yeah. AFC championship where they just said hey, we're gonna go three-man rush against Patrick Mahomes in the second half. And Inarumo's, you know, first and second half splits have been outstanding. That speaks to the ability to make adjustments in game. It's probably, again, it's oversimplifying, but it's it's a defense that does make adjustments to what they're seeing. And you usually need veteran type of players, right? That's the thing you say about the Bill Belichick players. When he gets his veterans, they can run their week-to-week game plan oriented system. Well, that's how the Bengals have been. So maybe losing uh, a couple veteran safeties like Jesse Bates and Von Bell will come back to bite. I do, I do love the way the Bengals... Uh, we we always mention, the, use the word f- uh, future-proofing, uh, future-proof their roster, knowing Jesse Bates was a free agent, knowing those guys needed to be replaced. Uh, that's where they drafted you know last year in 2021 and bringing in Daxton Hill and Cam Taylor Britt. But clearly that's going to hurt the depth because those guys have to jump into starting spots. They draft DJ Turner at corner in the second round out of Michigan. I think he could be a fantastic player. Uh, but when you are mm-hmm. a potential dynasty, for the uh, wrong word, but you know, potential top-end team every single year, you're going to be paying the quarterback, you're going to be paying a receiver or two, then you're going to have to rely on younger players, right? And so every year with the Bengals, I think you're going to – you know, the defensive line is going to be young in a year or whatever it might be, and you're going to have to count on somebody. So, yeah, this year it's the secondary for the Bengals, and I think it will be more challenging from a game plan standpoint.
0: Yeah, we have talked about this a bit on NFL Live lately. Like, I don't want to say – once again, like they have to do the same thing as the Chiefs, but the trajectory you're describing is not dissimilar from what we saw with the Chiefs. You give your quarterback the big contract, that's obviously looming, as well as these two wide receiver contracts. Where the Chiefs saved money elsewhere was in their secondary, and they invested a lot of draft capital into that defense. There were some ups and downs at linebacker, they were very young, but by the end of the year, they were playing really good ball. And I think. That's what has to happen in Cincinnati, to, to your point. To, like keep, to make it a sustainable, which is what a dynasty is, it's a sustainably good right. team. You have to find value, and they're not going to find it at wide receiver or quarterback. So uh, it, it does seem like, and, and not just in the secondary, up front too. I mean, I liked the Miles Murphy pick a lot for yeah. them at the end of the first round where they got him. I like the player, but I also really like, again, like they're thinking ahead to we've got some older veterans on the defensive line. Um, I guess they're not that old. Trank is not that old, for example. But still, we need depth there. We need cheap depth. We need um, to improve the pass rush. Frankly, uh, more than other parts of the team. So that made a lot of sense to me. I don't know how much of the field he'll see, year one. I suspect, like Osai, they'll use him situationally. You know, maybe, um, rushing on the inside as well. He can do that. But um, it does feel like. The pass rush, Steve, and we can wrap here with Cincinnati, is going to have to be better this year as the back end develops and adjusts and maybe peaks at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I I agree. There's got to be more consistency there. There's certain games where Trey Hendrickson is outstanding and Sam Hubbard Hubbard has been solid. Uh, DJ Reader went healthy, more of a run stopper, but he could push the pocket a little bit. But You know, I think a lot of the best teams are rolling seven and eight deep on the defensive line. So that's where I think uh, uh, Miles Murphy and his power, you know, as a power rusher, I think he helps immediately. But again, it comes down to that long-term aspect, as you mentioned. Not necessarily old on the defensive line, but in a couple of years, Trey Hendrickson has to get paid again. Or Sam Hubbard has to get paid again. There's only so much money to go around. So I, I like a lot of the Bengals moves, not just for 2023, but for 24 and beyond where they're going to get a little bit cheaper at these positions where they won't be able to spend as much money because they want to keep the the trio together, Burrow, Chase, and Higgins. So um, from a you know future-proofing standpoint, again, I love what the Bengals have done, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but it puts a lot more pressure on those young players So, and, uh, and Sweet Lou calling those plays. So I think that'll be a big story for, <laughs> for Cincy, right? You might First leave half too at some
0: point, by the way. Oh, yeah, exactly. Of course. Yeah. I
1: know. But if you, again, but if you want to sustain success, I mean, that's, that's what you have to prepare for, right? Is losing coaches, losing good players, keeping your nucleus together. I think the Patriots are always the, they are the actual dynasty that you look to. And so I think the Bengals, the Chiefs, they should be saying, okay, let's learn lessons from New England. What places were they never weak, right? Where did they maintain strength. It was on the offensive line. And then when they did let things go at receiver, they didn't have a chance to win the Super Bowl those years. They made the AFC championship, but they didn't have a chance to win. So I think there's lessons to learn from the Patriots and how they built. And I think Cincinnati and the Chiefs are both doing really good jobs there.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the Ravens. Is there a unit in the entire league that you're more intrigued by than the Ravens offense? (laughs) Not really. I mean... I I, I feel like I'm not being too dramatic. Like, that... It literally... I feel like all all of us in our ilk, week one, that is what we all want to watch.
1: Yeah. How much... Lamar Jackson's awesome. And then you want to know, okay, how much of his awesome was... Greg Roman putting him in a good position to succeed was great. Like half half the people are saying Greg Roman, you know, is the reason for Lamar Jackson because he adjusted to a skill set. The other half are saying Greg Roman, there's a ceiling, right? There's a cap. Let Lamar cook. You know, he's, you know, what's Todd Monken going to do as a, as a new offensive coordinator who um, want probably wants to pass the ball more than Roman did. Um, but you, but you also have to tap into Lamar Jackson's skill set. You have to let him run. And then uh, the easy, Media narrative is, well, Lamar got hurt the last two years. You got to do something different. It's like, you know, do you really, you know, do you, do you, is it okay to run him 10 to 15 times a game? Yeah, probably is. And you probably have to because that opens everything up. Why would you lose your Trump card there? So I'm fascinated to see what they do schematically. And then, okay, by the way, OBJ is coming in and a guy like Zay Flowers coming in as a rookie who, um, you know, I think was one of the more polarizing prospects, depending on who you talk to. Some people loved him, some people thought he was just another. Small receiver. So personnel scheme, Lamar coming back after all the offseason drama around the contract. Yeah, there's there's a lot to watch in Baltimore.
0: So I think this is going to be like one of those fascinating. So rarely with quarterback play. Do you get like the control? Like, for example, with with Lamar. (laughs) there's been you, you kind of highlighted there's like two sides of the like oh some is the, could he be a better passer with better weapons with a better scheme well or you know is it actually this is who he is and we're putting too much uh, blame on the pieces around him in the context well we're if they're actually if the wider saber group is actually healthy we're really going to answer a lot of the questions that people have had about lamar Jackson like as a passer he has been very good in moments stretches streaks um, but the, there's always been like legitimate excuses for him. Like they are totally legitimate, right? Like uh I, I don't think many quarterbacks would thrive in the passing attack. But you know, again, Roman was a bit hamstrung but a talent, whatever. Anyways, point is you get the control now. Like you get to actually see, okay, what happens if this guy has a competent receiver group and a play caller that I think we all agree um you know, is certainly has called more successful passing attacks than Greg Roman. I think that's a generous and fair way to put it. We'll see. Like, we'll, we'll not like Lamar against the blitz, which has been kind of an issue at times over the last two years. I think we'll get a sense of like, okay, like how much of that is yeah. him, you know, or like, uh, it just, I think that's, what's so fascinating about it is not just, um, kind of like the football side of it and how good it could be. And I think it could be very good, but it's also just going to answer a lot of questions that we have that have up to this point have not really been answerable. Yeah,
1: for sure. And, and I, I think you're right. I mean, there's been excuses for Lamar, but then there's also questions that he brings to the table. Like in 2021, it was, that was the year they had that that Monday night game he had against Indianapolis where he was like 37 for 43 or something ridiculous in overtime, yeah. in, in overtime win and just doesn't miss a throw the entire game. And both of, early last year and the year before, it was like, all right, Lamar's back on this in this MVP conversation, right? But before the injuries both years, he did taper off. There was a ton of turnover-worthy plays uh, at the end of 2021, and you know he would have two per game for about five or six games before he got hurt. So the consistency still hasn't been there. So um, even with the idea that – add to this, in his MVP season, if you were ranking his playmakers – they're not in the top 10 to 15 or even 20 maybe in the NFL. So you got to give him a ton of credit for 2019 MVP year, one of the best offenses in the league. But of course the question is why hasn't the offense, even with Lamar been to that point over the last couple of years, right? So there's just, there's a million question marks that include Lamar, that include the supporting cast that include uh, the play calling. So yeah, I can't wait to see it. It, it. One other thing we learned too, I think is Mark Andrews, just how special he is no matter who has been quarterback, yeah. whether it's Josh Johnson on team 17, Mark Andrews is still producing. He's quarterback proof. He's a clear top three to five tight end as a yeah. pass catcher in the NFL. And now you're at an OBJ and Zay Flowers and hopefully Rash- uh, Rashad Bateman being healthy. There's a lot of potential here in Baltimore.
0: Mark Andrews in particular, like the amount of space he could potentially finally have. Like we're talking about a guy who was so clearly at times Lamar forced it to him. I mean, Lamar really likes throwing the middle of the field up the seams. And so, but, but a lot of it was like, you know, of course you're going to throw it to Mark Andrews. Who else are you going to throw it to, especially when Bateman was injured. And if Bateman Beckham Jr. And Zay flowers or some mix of them are on the field. Um, just the, I keep going back to that word space because this has been such a congested, heavy offense. And it has been again, like it's, they've been really successful. So on one hand it's like, well, yeah, they were, because they were so unique, they were so difficult to stop it, you know, but uh, it's gonna look so different and there's gonna be so much more space for the skill players. There's gonna be so much more space for the run game. Um, I I think I posted, I I talked about this NFL live, but like, you know, the Ravens unsurprisingly faced very few light boxes (laughs) last year, the previous two years. Shocker, right? when they did run into light boxes, um, not even like, you know, out of, I think 11 I, I, I grabbed, maybe it was, no, I, it was actually all groupings. But in any case, when they actually did run into light boxes, and obviously that includes a lot of Mark Jackson runs, they averaged higher EPA per play running than the Chiefs did as an offense running into light boxes. Yeah. So consider the fact that now suddenly teams have this horrible decision to make every time they play this team, when they come out there in 11 personnel with those three wide receivers at the, you know, on the field, you, you're going to have to seed the run a bit more. And I just think like, Oh my God, this was a, a, a absolute war machine on the ground. But then there's a the flip side. Well, maybe they aren't as good at running the ball, off, you know, like Ricard and the tight ends aren't in there. I don't know. We're going to find out. I don't yeah. like, it's just so exciting to me just to see how it plays out.
1: the the one other piece too, with, with OBJ in the mix here, he's Baker Mayfield has one of the most confusing careers because when, when the supporting cast was good, he was worse and he was better when, when OBJ went down and, but there's still like lingering questions about that. OBJ, the number one wide receiver, because when he went to the Rams, him and Stafford weren't on the same page for a few weeks and then they figured it out, but there's still, you know, elite Cooper cup there. And OBJ was more of a, you know, in the Super Bowl, a mismatch creator in the slot. If he didn't get hurt in the Super Bowl, I think he would have had seven or eight catches, a couple touchdowns, because they were going to feature him. But that's what he was more of a game plan oriented, we're going to get you the ball this week, but not that number one that he was maybe with the Giants for a few years. So do they try do, do do they work? Lamar Jackson and OBJ, you know, because you just you don't know what that chemistry is like because we've seen OBJ be on the good and bad side of that with with quarterbacks.
0: That's a really good point. I hated doing OBJ segments on TV cuz I was like, I don't know, man. That like, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, setting aside the injury, yeah. I don't he's such a difficult wide receiver to project in terms of like to your point usage, productivity. It's just been so crazy since the early part of his career in New York. I actually think Flowers who was I did like as a prospect. To me, like I think um I can really, I can easily imagine how he's used deep shots, play action, and I think Lamar is going to throw to him a fair amount because, as much as we, um, you know, on the wide receiver productivity in this offense, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, got a lot of targets, and yep. the uh, up the the case for Flowers to me as a prospect was a better Marquise Brown. I mean, that's the upside case, you know. Yep. So. I actually, I really like that pick. I, and I, cause I think he's like Bateman, OBJ. There's some similarities there. Flowers is a very different kind of player. And like the, this, this passing game should be explosive because of the attention teams pay to the running game.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I be, I'm, I'm interested I'd to see flowers it. as a deep threat. And then just a space player. I always thought, you know, I, I think he, of all the other small receivers in the draft, he's best with the ball in his hands in space and, the Ravens will create some room I think for flowers to operate both down the field and after the catch. So they can use that early.
0: So the Ravens def- defense w- looked really awesome second half of last season. Um, are you, Do you feel like they'll continue building on that? Do you have concerns about the pass rush uh, or like, do you like, where do you view them going into this season in terms of the division?
1: I, I think this time of year, we, you know, we look at the depth charts, we look at the two deep and it feels not as strong as previous years, but I don't know that that matters a whole lot. Why does it feel not as strong? You know, Calais Campbell's gone, but he's, he's getting older anyway, and was tapering off a little bit. Uh, a guy like Marcus Peters isn't on the depth chart anymore, but you know, they haven't gotten as much out of him as, as, yet. as, as the paper, right. Would, would show, but I don't know who, you know, if they have those exact replacements. I think a guy like Justin Matabuike who was really good for a stretch last year on the defensive line. They're expecting more from him. They, he has to step up. I think uh, who's going to be the cornerback opposite Marlon Humphrey. You've got Rocky Sin. You've got Brandon Stevens. You've got a few others. You know, Daryl Worley and Trayvon Mullen. You have all these veterans who haven't really been great throughout their career. So I'd, I have some concerns about the cornerback room, I think, for the first time, again, on paper. than the last few years, all that said, Baltimore has been playing with, you know, a destroyed defensive back room as far as injuries go the last couple of years then, but you also have that potential star potential of a Kyle Hamilton and then Roquan Smith at linebacker played so much better in Baltimore than he did in Chicago. So every time I'm like, ah, it doesn't look as good. It's like, "Eh, well, other people step up. I think the defense will be good. They'll be solid. They just, uh, much like the Bengals maybe don't have the same kind of depth that they had in previous years.
0: Yeah, I think, um, I'm, pre- I'm confident in them because of what I saw at the end of last season, not just from the players, but from the coach, uh, Mike McDonald, I think, yeah. really, it took them. And, I, and I, um, I think my colleague Ryan Clark and uh was the one who maybe – I can't remember which of the players he was talking to. But anyways, it took them a second to get a whole – I mean, this was a pretty dramatic scheme change right. from Wink Martindale. <laughs> and it took them a second to figure it out. And, you know, you're talking about young players like Kyle Hamilton – you remember had those coverage busts early in the season and then they realized, okay, we want to play him more in the slot. And he was freaking awesome. The second half of last season, um, David Ojabo didn't even play until the very end of the season. That's a guy who I'm really curious to see if he can step up as a pass rusher on if a Owe doesn't sort of fulfill his draft potential. Um, so I think you can really imagine a world in which they get better, but, um, you are dependent on young players playing well. I will say, Roquan Smith, I mean, it was like a hand in a glove when he showed... You know, like, I always liked him as a player. I think he's got a really rare skill set for... Um, off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now in terms of just his ranginess and coverability and everything he does. But I also was like, oh, when he arrived in Baltimore and you saw the way they used him, the way he unlocked the rest of the team, it just made sense. It was one of those player acquisitions where you realize, oh, this is the perfect scheme for you, and like maybe you're not worth this trade and this money on a different team. But on this football team, you absolutely are. That's yeah. how I felt by the end of it.
1: Roquan's so interesting because I loved him too as a, as a prospect and skill set-wise the way you described. And then, you know, at PFF, we always get, you know, pushback. Well, Roquan Smith's awesome and you guys gave him a bad grade. And it's like, hey, look, I, I like him too. But I'm going to go watch the film. I want to figure this out. Why why did he grade so poorly against the run? And I'm watching – for the when he was with the Bears. And I'm watching all these plays. I'm like, he just – he's a little late to diagnose and he's just getting blocked. He just gets blocked a ton at the second level. Like that's what was happening in Chicago the majority of the time, but that wasn't prevalent with the Ravens and the kids are going to spy on me over here. Um, he yeah, was so much better. And because, because it's the Ravens on. and we know that they're, you know, yeah. they're, they're pretty smart. They're sharp. It's like, Oh, what did they see? They saw something they knew would be a scheme fit. And, you know, maybe we're giving the Ravens too much credit, but, They did. They did figure something out where Roquan wasn't getting blocked and he was an impact player against the run, at least using PFF grades for the first time in five years, um, while also being one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL. He does have that skill set. So that was interesting to see that different environment unlock, I think, you Hmm. know, Roquan's, uh, you know, more elite grading.
0: Yeah. And then his presence unlocked Patrick Queen, who played the best football of his career once, to my eye, I don't know what your grades say, once Roquan Smith arrived. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, McDonald um, uses a lot of disguise up front. The Ravens, you saw, um, leaned pretty heavily on simulated pressure. This is a team that, again, you know, they didn't have a stud edge rusher. Justin Houston was their best pass rusher, still a free agent, still might come back to this team. Uh, I would be very shocked if they don't sign a veteran rusher, whether one of the guys, N'Gakwe, well, probably not N'Gakwe, but whatever, one of the guys. But anyways, a lot of simulated pressures. And then, so, so having a linebacker who's so... Uh, so fast in terms of like one second, he's in line of scrimmage. Then all of a sudden he's like halfway up the field. You know, it, it, it again, it's, it, it was like, Oh, right. You, this is the right linebacker for your defense for Mike McDonald's defense. So to have him for the full season, I think is just going to be so helpful. They also drafted Trenton Simpson, which was like a sneaky, interesting pickup. And I'll be curious to see how much play he gets. Probably not early in the season would be my guess, but that's something to monitor. I guess, you know, pass rush depth, to your point, a little bit of a concern, but I don't know. This is a very complete roster. I I think they look really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think they're pretty, they're pretty close to Cincinnati for me.
1: I, I mean, I agree. Obviously, if Lamar Jackson's healthy, um, we're talking about the difference in any NFL season is, you know, a few games here and there. And the Baltimore, you know, they gave the Bengals a good game in the playoffs. They had that freaky fumble six and yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, it'll be close and it'll be a bounce of the ball here and there it, it, assuming health. Um, and yeah, I usually like a lot of what the Ravens have done. I think they've built, they've built, uh, even though they've lost some veterans, they've, they've drafted well and got to rely on their young players the same way the Bengals do. But yeah, it's, it's going to come down to whatever that offense does and Lamar's health and you know, how much, if he could take that next step, get back to that MVP ish type of form.
0: All right, let's take a quick break, come back and talk about a team that I think might be the hardest to project in the NFL. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call one 800 327 5050 or visit gamblinghelpline ma.org michigan call 1-800-270-7117 illinois maryland new jersey tennessee virginia west virginia ohio pennsylvania affiliated with harris philadelphia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER that's 1-800-426-2537 or in west virginia visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net this podcast is proud to be supported by jet's pizza the number one pick in detroit style pizza why it's simple jet's is better with the thickest crispiest cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country there's no competition and I have to say speaking from experience recently having tried it for the first time in Detroit it is absolutely delicious right now you can get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you Again, try Jet's signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8 SAVE. That's number 8 S A V E. Jet's pizza. Better because it has to be.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy
0: wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, Steve, uh, you heard me tease this team. I said I think they're the hardest nope. pro- to project in the NFL. Which of the two teams do you think I'm talking about?
1: I don't know. It's both of them. I mean, the it's the Browns or the Steelers, obviously. But I'm it's- just... Is it the Browns yeah. it because of Watson? Okay. Yeah. But like the Steelers are tough too, but yeah, let's go with the Browns.
0: The Steelers are the Steelers. I mean, like I said, they both all, every team in this division could make the playoffs, you know, so that necessarily makes them interesting. The Browns, I have been very reluctant to like power rank or project or whatever, just cause well, because of Deshaun Watson. So I just, uh rewatched his last three starts to prepare for this because I was I watched them during the season but not once it became clear they were out of playoff contention you know we didn't talk about them very much on tv obviously right. didn't talk about I mean John Watson was suspended because of all the accusations of uh, sexual misconduct and obviously I didn't want to talk about him last year and I've talked about that and sort of talking about this team and eventually getting back to talking about football. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about him as a football player. Um, So I sat down, I watched the games. I think maybe two of them had inclement weather. I can't remember which ones off the top of my head because I because I remember Browns fans talking about that a lot. Um, What did you think? of his performance. Obviously it was not good, but like, let's get into why it wasn't good and whether it can get better. Because that is, I think the question that will likely determine the outcome of this whole thing. Like, what did you think watching him? Where did you feel like he looked like he was struggling? Did you see any signs of the old Watson? What was your takeaway?
1: Yeah, I thought there were signs of the old, but it was just terrible inconsistency, inaccuracy. And look, it, it it would have made for an easier narrative if his bad games were at the beginning, and then he got a little bit better. Yes, yes. But it didn't happen, right? His, uh, you know, again using PFF grades, we have two grades in the fifties, uh, seventy and a high sixties. Those were his two best games, and then another game in the fifties and a game in the thirties. His two worst
0: was one of the best. Was the Saints game one of the better ones, or
1: it was? and Even though they didn't score okay. a ton of points and the the weather was yeah, terrible, yeah. and they, you know, okay, he anyway, wasn't great. Yeah. Keep but, going. Sorry. Um, there was some drops in there, right? There was a lot of drops. Um, And and there was an interesting narrative coming out of the Saints game where there was Browns media saying, oh, look, Watson solved the cold. It's like, I think they scored 10 points or whatever the game. He didn't solve anything. Um, So I don't think it made a ton of sense. It would have made sense if he was rusty after not playing for almost two years and then figured it out. So I don't know what to do with the Deshaun Watson narrative. The other part too is, you know, again, from a PFF standpoint, when he was, uber productive in 2018 and 19. He was a guy whose production was a little bit higher than maybe our grades. And I and I usually I, I like comparing that here are the grades, here's whatever metric passer rating EPA. And usually there's some sort of coach or scheme mm-hmm. or players that elevated a player where the grade was a little bit or just luck. Grade was a little bit lower than the stats. Um, and then in 2020, the grade was incredible and Watson looked like he he played incredible and they won four games. And so the, the question was, okay, is he a, is he an elite player now? I, I don't know if he's an elite quarterback now or a guy that's going to be a good quarterback. And, and so the Browns just need him to get back to good where he's not missing as many throws. He's not making as many bad decisions. There were flashes where he looked faster and he looked like a playmaker, but those were yeah. flashes. And one other thing I'll, I'll, that I'll say, and I think a lot of people in football miss this The, the conditions matter, you know, the weather stuff does matter and playing in a dome does matter. Like if you look historically, it's like a six point difference in passer rating, just using an example of a number, six point difference in passer rating inside versus outside. So when you have a guy that's played indoors his entire career, the stats are going to look a little bit inflated and nothing against Drew Brees or Peyton Manning, but like that made them better playing indoors. Like there's no bad, it it is easier statistically. It just is easier. And I don't think we consider that enough. In other sports, we have ballpark factors and baseball and everything. We don't consider it enough. And I do wonder how much that's going to be a factor. It's not every game, but it does matter a little bit, I think. It's in Cleveland. Kind of it's the
0: AFC North. Yeah. Like, you're going to yeah. play in the snow, man. Like, this is not going away. Um, yeah, I do want – I wonder how much they considered that when they did – I mean, it didn't seem like they were considering a lot, but uh, –
1: It's not a reason to, yeah. like, not not take a player or anything – but it is a reason to say, okay, this guy had 105 passer rating, but you have to say, okay, but he was indoors for 10 games. You know, like Matt Ryan is a completely different quarterback if he plays in Philadelphia his entire career. It just it's You just have to factor that in when you're evaluating players.
0: Well, I think you, you hit on another thing there that's worth sort of starting with, which is he doesn't have to be great, I think. Yeah. He only has to be good because I think otherwise yep. this offensive depth chart is awesome. I mean, the line is still extremely good. One of the best in the NFL. Still an unbelievable run game. I honestly just had to stop myself from clipping Nick Chubb stuff because I just love him. So I think he's so, so good. good. <laughs> he's clearly the best running back in the NFL to me. It's not a contest. I'm sorry. Um, and I'll talk more about him in a second. But, anyways, uh, I, w- I was, I think, tweeting about this. I, I kind of like this wide receiver group. I-, I, l- I feel like they've got some really nice complimentary players. Amari Cooper still. Very good. I thought he was really good in the slot in particular last season. Um, They got a big bodied outside guy in Cedric Tillman, which is a pick I really liked. Some speed with the trade for Elijah Moore. I think him and Cooper, they can move them around. DPJ uh, was pretty reliable as a number two last year. It's like, it should be good. Um, It's not like you don't look at this team and think Deshaun Watson needs to carry this offense the way he sometimes has it, you know, points during his career, he just needs to be good enough the way Jacoby Brissett was good enough for the first half of the season.
1: Yeah. Jacoby Brissett was, was good. He was good last year. He kept them in a lot of games. He was not good late in games when the game was on the line. And theoretically that should be the difference, right? If Watson, Deshaun Watson should be able to play better than Jacoby Brissett did last year and then be better, uh, you know, in crunch time and, you're right. I mean, I, th- I think the Browns are, are similar to the Ravens in that I, th- I think they're really good at making moves around the edges um, as far as making sure that the roster is in good shape, uh, making sure that the offense is solid on the offensive line, that Browns have had one of the better offensive lines for years now. I thought last year I, 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 I've had some questions about their receiving core compared to others, but I think the Elijah Moore move, I think everybody's pretty high on that just to kind of, you know, prospects that a lot of people liked in a new system where they can move him around. And I like having receiving cores that have different skill sets. Amari Cooper, still a very good route runner. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who, as you mentioned, you know, deep threat size. Tillman uh, could be very good outside. So they, they, they have all these options, right? Um, so I'm with you. I think the, the roster's good. And then on the other side of the ball, defensively, they, their biggest weakness was the defensive line, and they attacked it properly, I think, this offseason to maybe even turn it into a strength. Sorry to jump I the gun on the that. segue there.
0: No, no, I do want to talk about that. One, one more thing about the offense. I do think it needs to change. So, uh, one thing I, I, that sort of struck me watching again, Watson, the second time around was how uncomfortable he looked under center, which is, it makes sense. That's not what he's done over the course of his career really no. successfully. Uh, so, but, but that, is, the Stefanski offense coming from that tree is, you know, under center wide zone running is, is what we think of. Although the run game was a bit more diverse last year than it had been. It's kind of an NFL wide theme. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised this year if they kind of Watsonize the offense a little bit. Um, if you have him in the gun pistol more often, have him an empty, which is something he was more uh, successful at in Houston. Um, kind of organized chaos is what <laughs> how I would describe the offense in, in Houston. And, and Steve, I was actually, I was for a second. I was like, but you know, they've been so good running the ball from these looks. Do you really want to mess with that? So I just, I checked, um, to see how, uh, good Nick Chubb was running out of the gun instead of under center, just I was kind of like, Oh, you know what might happen if they change it? Um, so Nick Chubb running out of the gun last year, first in yards per carry, First fine. in yeah. rushing yards over expectation for carry. I mean, he And he had 92 carries, so it wasn't like nothing. He's so good at everything. Sorry. That's just, I just, he's so good. And anyways, if they change the offense, he will be fine.
1: Yes. Uh, Nick Chubb's awesome. One of my favorite comps was like a bigger Maurice Jones drew when he came out. Maybe I underrated mm-hmm. Nick Chubb because he's fantastic. But I, I think, yeah, the Watson element and comfort level is interesting. Uh, just to add another point to it, too. I thought there was a point in Watson's career where I think um, similar to maybe uh, Russell Wilson had to deal with this. Aaron Rodgers had to deal with this guys who have, who create big plays, they make big time throws down the field, but take too many negative plays. They take too many sacks. And so I thought if, if Watson didn't go through all the nonsense and he was still playing football, that was going to be the next question was like, how much do you try to take away some yeah. of those big plays in order to get the ball out of his hands and lower the sack total in last year, I mean, he got sacked a ton with no big plays to speak for, yeah. right? So it was bad. Right. It was just bad overall. But that that question comes back to the table. How much do you want him yeah. to be closer to a game manager because you have all this other good stuff, running game, offensive line, playmakers, question. versus how much do you want Watson to be with the, play the way he played in Houston, which is like, hey, he'll make the line look bad sometimes with sack totals, but he's going to make some big plays. I think that's a big question for how they want to handle him as well.
0: It really is like a I remember when Russell Wilson and him had those really high sack rates but it was like well you kind of take it cuz every third every other third down it's like an 80 yard you know but we saw we've seen I think you you have seen Russell Wilson it's like okay well, what happens when you lose the big plays and you're getting sacked a lot and your to your point last year that was the case with Watson as well so that'll be a really interesting question um so the defense is uh, I'm also really excited to watch though um New defensive coordinator talked about this a little bit. Jim Schwartz liked the hire, um, and they made some changes. They finally invested at defensive tackle. Uh, I think I picked Dalvin Tomlinson as my X factor for this team, uh, just because it it's was their bad. big signing. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and it was—it's just been such an abomination the uh, the the run defense uh, because uh, they have either underinvested in it or the guys they've drafted haven't really worked out. Unfortunately, I mean, I think, you know, it's going to be a 4-3. Uh, one of them still going to have to start next door <laughs> to Dalvin Tomlinson. I don't know, Jordan Elliott, maybe. I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Uh, they drafted a guy, but we'll see when he's eco. We'll see when he plays. But it, it'll be better, I think. But still, still a little bit of a concern for me with this team.
1: The Browns are really interesting because it, it is like if if um, if our friends from NFL Twitter were running a team and you'd run <laughs> the numbers and say, well, defensive the numbers show defensive, defensive yeah.
0: tackle.
1: Yeah, defensive tackles, the least valuable position. What if we just only drafted players in, you know, day two and day three? And theoretically, like, on paper and in a spreadsheet and in Python, it it kind of makes sense. <laughs> Unless you just never hit on any of those players, like a Jordan Elliott, who should have been good coming out. So it's like, the I'm watching the Browns probably use the right process, and then the results are so bad. And then when you see the results, you forget sometimes that the NFL is a week-to-week matchup-driven game, and they have those games where the run defense just can't stop anybody, much like the Chargers. It's like, I don't care how many stars you have or how well you've built the rest of the (laughs) roster. If you're that bad up front and you give up 250 yards on the ground, it's over. And so the Browns shouldn't have those games this year due to your X Factor, Dalvin Tomlinson.
0: I, every week, if like a team played the Browns, I was like, I need to take their run production. I think it maybe like there were a few teams where I was like, this yeah. doesn't matter. This meant nothing. I'm glad you you rushed for sixty yards per carry. It doesn't mean anything. Like this is so bad. Um so yeah, I think I think Tomlinson would make a big difference. We'll see about the death. Um I'm probably more optimistic are uh, about the the pressure side of it up front with those additions, um, because you kind of alluded to this. I mean, Miles Garrett had it's been the Miles Garrett show in Cleveland and he's still been awesome. Uh, but he was the most double team pass rusher in football last year, according to true media, over 30% of dropbacks uh, outside of him. No other Browns pass rusher uh, ranked in the top 50 in pressure rate. So he is joined by Z'Darius Smith, who I imagine will use outside inside, uh, and then Obo Okoronkwo, who's kind of um, become an NFL Twitter darling. Like the NFL nerds, the, the tape heads love him. Yeah, uh, Rams Rams preseason legend Obo Okurankwo. Um, But you know, I, I think just bringing in those guys and then putting them in the Jim Schwartz defense, where they'll be rushing from a pretty wide alignment. I I think it should look pretty good, and I wouldn't be surprised, Steve, if if Miles Garrett actually. Has a better season than the ones he've ha- he's had because of it.
1: It's one of the most difficult things in football sometimes is when last year at this time, or last year during the season, you were trying to make a case. Sam, my buddy, trying to make a case for Miles Garrett for Defensive Player of the Year, but because the Browns' defense was terrible and he didn't, I don't think he had the same sack totals as uh, Nick Bosa and uh, Micah Parsons. Mm-hmm. And it's like, of course it's Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons. Of course it's a two horse race. And it's like, look at every metric on Miles Garrett. Win rate, PFF pass rush grade, double team rate like you mentioned. He has been as productive, if not more, in a much more difficult situation. So yeah, I'm fascinated by Jim, Sw- Jim Schwartz. Known more for, you know, four-man rush, let dudes get to the quarterback. Uh, Miles Garrett's produced in every system that they've had anyway. So he'll continue to produce, but now he has help with Darius Smith, with Oboe, who you mentioned, um, with Tomlinson on the inside. So yeah, I think the Browns turned uh, a massive weakness, which was their entire defensive line, into potentially one of the best in the NFL just by a couple of additions if um, if they live up to the – especially Zedarius Smith, the way he's played the last couple of years, and Ronqua, yeah. the way he mixes in. People love him because his just per-snap productivity has been great. I don't know if he's a great 800-snap guy, but now that they brought Zedarius in doesn't on the cheap, he doesn't have to be. So love that as a yeah. trio and the way they could use all those guys up front.
0: He's good enough to where if Miles Garrett gets double-teamed as much as he has been – he will produce, I I believe, a quote-unquote. Yeah, he'll win as one-on-ones. And, you know, in in total, this will all help the secondary, which is still talented, uh, kind of a group that hasn't really put it all together in terms of, I would say, um, like consistent play um, at the same time. (laughs) Like there's been like great Denzel Ward streaks and Greg Newsom at points looked okay and like Grant Delpit played better at the end of the season. They need to all play good at the same time. Uh, that's kind of my that's big it. conclusion with this. Yeah. So, uh, cause they've, they've all have high highs and yeah, that's another one where hopefully the change in defensive coordinator finally makes it so that the talent in this group lives up to their potential.
1: Yeah. And sometimes the scheme yeah. change just helps, right? It's it certainly, yeah, it, there's, there's growing pains and there's an adjustment and, you know, Ryan Clark might say, Oh, it's really difficult to learn a new scheme. It takes time, but, over the course of a season, st- statistically, some you just take a bad defense, bring in a new defensive coordinator, and you're going to be better. Um, I'm oversimplifying it, but they should be better because, like you said, they're very talented, and uh, the coverage busts and some of the communication issues that they've had in the back end, You know, if those are gone, you know, the Browns are a very dangerous team because I think they've made a lot of good moves from a personnel standpoint, and now it's just... The the biggest move that they made was Deshaun Watson, and it won't matter if you know he's bad again.
0: I feel like the Browns and the Chargers are the teams where like we've all been burnt so many times. We're like, ah, maybe <laughs> maybe that yeah. chart looks good. I don't know. Okay, the Steelers are kind of the opposite, where I feel like they don't have like the, they don't they don't really get a lot of hype, but um, they finished very strong, and I think that's probably where we should start weeks ten through eighteen finished like top five to 10 in most offensive metrics. Um, Seventh in DVOA. So you can say they played uh, lesser competition. I certainly think that is true, but DVOA does account for opponent. Um, They were particularly good running the ball uh, in that second half of the season. Do you buy it? Do you think this defense offense, we'll start with the offense, do you think they kind of figured things out? Did you feel like Kenny Pickett looked good out there? Did you... Do you like Matt Canada deserved to keep his job. Like what is your take on the Steelers offensive improvement we saw in the second half last year?
1: Yeah. So I think, I think I'm buying into Kenny Pickett looking good. I'm not saying he'll be the next second year quarterback to be in the MVP race. I think there's, there's a happy medium in between. He's the next Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, whoever. Um, but I think Pickett was great. It didn't show up on the stat sheet a lot, and I I really think a lot of that comes down to to Matt Canada. You know, despite the the strong finish, I thought they don't have a ton of easy stuff, right? Like when the, I'm not the, a fan. The, reason, right? the the reason why everybody loves Kyle Shanahan is because they're like, wow, look at look at what you did with Brock Purdy. Look at all those open throws. Look at look at how Debo yeah. Samuel has 16 plays where he's in space in a game, and it's like we don't. It's like Pickett to Pickens has to be precise on back shoulders. And then Kenny Pickett throws a seam route to Friermuth, and it's like, whoa, they have a middle of the field to attack. That's amazing. So to me, there was a little bit of Kenny Pickett playing football a little bit differently than Mitchell Trubisky did last year with it. He was attacking the middle a little bit more, You know, had some of those just like five-yard runs here and there, just adding the QB sneak game that Ben Roethlisberger never had. Like There was a lot of little stuff that I thought Pickett added to the offense, but there's still just not enough layups there's just not enough easy stuff because personnel wise I think the Steelers are continuing to get better on top of you know Tomlin who's always just been so good at keeping it all together and keeping them competitive obviously because they don't have losing seasons
0: they should be better like (laughs) the like it's a good receiver group I think Deontay Jones is like one of the more underrated wide receivers in football maybe it's because he doesn't score touchdown and had that like drop phase but like he's an extraordinary separator he's one yeah. of my favorite guys to watch pickens is like the invert not that he can't separate but literally the dude catches everything thrown in a you know two yard radius um great together um i yeah and i you know i will I, I think like frame with he looked good man so like and then that coupled with an improved offensive line um there should be like those layups should exist i one of the things I really liked about watching Kenny pig. I've talked about this before last season. I thought he looked really good throwing on the run. And it's, it was interesting because I don't know. I don't, the way he was in the NFL wasn't maybe not necessarily exactly what I expected coming out of college. Like he was kind of backyarded a little bit. Like he looked good scrambling. He looked good throwing on the run. And if it was me. I would really build that into the offense. I've talked about how I thought they should use more play action. Um, you now have a quarterback who will turn his back to the defense and boot out. Yes. Use it. You have yes. the players who can benefit from that. You've got now this, like, Darnell Washington. I mean, I, who knows if he'll even play, but, like, you've got a really good blocking tight end. And Friar use them. Like, there should be, like, with all those all those easy Daniel Jones boot completions. Those should exist in the framework of this offense, and it felt like they didn't really evolve it as much from the Ben Roethlisberger offense as they should have last year. And it, and what I'm reading from, you know, the B reporters talking about it this year, it doesn't sound like they're going to really change it that much again. Which I think would be a big mistake not to continue, not to evolve it because you have a very different quarterback.
1: Yeah, again, like my my oversimplification there is Kenny Pickett's PFF grade was good. Mitchell Trubisky's PFF grade was good. And, you know, the, you know for those who don't know, the PFF grade tries to isolate the quarterback from, uh, from the results. So that means overall they're making more good throws than bad. But if the offense's production, whether you're using EPA or just points per game or whatever you want to use, if it's below what you'd expect from a quarterback grading that well, then there's something missing. It's either the pass catchers aren't that good or there's something missing from a play caller. And for perspective, if you gave Kyle Shanahan, you know, Kenny Pickett had a 75 grade last year. Kyle Shanahan makes magic with 75 graded quarterbacks. You know, 70, that's, <laughs> Kenny
0: Pickett's that's, MVP he turns Jimmy and Garoppolo
1: it's into one good. of the winningest quarterbacks of all time and one of the most productive I'll
0: give anyone the MVP
1: quarterbacks the of all time, to, you know, using EPA and certain metrics, right? So that's where I see that big disconnect with yeah. Canada, where, again, I, I thought Pickett added more to the offense than, say, Trubisky last year. They both had just – more to play with than late career Ben Roethlisberger, but there's still something missing there because the playmakers are, again, the depth chart, the roster is good. There's, there has to be more out there, whether it is just a few more gimmies for Pickett, Cause yeah, he did show he could backyard it a little bit, but he's got to have the gimmies to complement that. And then you've got a more complete offense and a much more dangerous offense to to defend.
0: So I had the defense uh, kind of, just outside the top 10 when I was doing my top 10 defenses, I was tempted to put them in. I was between them. And I think it was like new Orleans and Baltimore. I was kind of looking at the end and ultimately I kept them out, but um, just cause I had a few questions, um, you know, a linebacker I think is a major issue with this team off, off the linebacker. linebacker. Um, the cornerback room on paper looks interesting but i it's really a wait and see right like you have peterson who's coming off a good year but like he's not getting younger i like the joey porter jr draft pick makes a ton of sense great value but he's a rookie so and i don't know if he'll take like who's is levi wallace gonna play? i don't know like so it's just kind of like ah you know i'm gonna have to wait and see in terms of the not the front but the to the second and third level of this defense
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I don't know what to do with any of those positions. It feels it feels like linebacker. They (laughs) went from let's take a chance on. Well, they traded up to go get a Devin Bush, or you know, they they took a chance on Miles Jack, right? Let's take these former first rounders and see if we can, um, you know, Bush hopefully develop or Miles Jack, you know, kind of get him back to where he was at one point in his career. Didn't seem to work that well. They've decided to go maybe more dependable. Like we kind of know what we're gonna get from Orlando Roberts and Cole Holcomb coming over. And doesn't make it a strong unit necessarily, but. You know they just have to be good enough, but I, you know, like I don't know what to do with Patrick Peterson or a Joey Porter, right? I like Joey Porter quite a bit, um, like the fit, but again, as a as a rookie, I don't know. But I, I think the Steelers have done a nice job, just kind of like throwing depth at the cornerback position. And even if guys don't work out, they've they've stitched it together. And then it just comes down to me, the superstars there, right? T.J. Watt when he's healthy is an absolute game changer. Cameron Hayward is when he's healthy. If those guys stay healthy, I feel like they've got enough pieces there that they are. You know, creeping around that top ten. If they don't stay healthy, they're a little more fragile. Despite, I think they've invested a lot at uh, pass rusher. As far as you know, uh, Marcus Golden coming in, Nick Herbig in the draft, who I loved. Um yeah. So there's a little more depth there for TJ Watt potential injury, but uh, you need those stars because it's a really good defense with Watt and Hayward. If and
0: the stars are healthy, this is this is not. Yeah, Mika, yeah. If the stars are healthy, this is an awesome pass rush to me. I mean, yep. Walk still one of the best three or four pass rushers in football. Hayward's still very good. Um, Alex Highsmith is really good. Yep. Uh, and then, like Marcus Golden, I feel like is one of the, he is like. There, there should be like a group of players who has bounced around the league despite being good. And I would put for a while it, it was like Adrian Amos was like in this category. We should there should be like a list of like why can't this guy stick? You know, like because. Yep. I wanted the Seahawks to sign Marcus Golden. I was, when I was looking at the list of free agent pass rushers, I was like, he's good. He's actually good. Like, he's better than, you know, some guys who get more money, it seems like. But anyways, as depth, love it. Uh, we, I talked about Nick I would Herwig, sign all those guys.
1: Former... I feel like if I was a GM, yeah, I would right? sign all of them. Every like, There's like six to eight of them. Like, I'm going to have a good solid team if I just <laughs> yeah. have this group.
0: He's like, yeah, like solid players. Um yeah. Yeah, and then and I talked about Herbig with your former colleague uh, Mike Renner, uh, and I, so I got a chance to watch him get after it a little bit. He's a good pass rusher. So up front, they're still very good. That's why this. That's why I considered I had them on the fringe of the top ten, but I just kind of ultimately was like, eh, a little bit too many question marks, secondary and stuff. But I still think they'll be really good. And if the offense plays like they did in the second half of last season, Cam Hayward's not on the field as much. Again. They could totally be a playoff team. It's completely realistic yeah. to me. They're a little bit harder to project for the other reasons we've been discussing. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do, I don't know, get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, You don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. So I've been wrapping by like trying to rank the teams. Um, I still feel like the two-tier thing I said at the beginning, I, I, I stand by that. But the order of those two tiers, Steve, like we're, if, you know, Gunter, like if you just had to rank them right now, where would you come down?
1: So I'll, I'll go Bengals, Ravens, I, the probably the order we did it. Bengals, Ravens, Brown, Steelers. Yeah. And it, the Steelers feel like the team where I feel really good about a lot of their off season moves and where the organization's going with Omar Khan at, uh, as GM. I just don't know if it's going to matter on the field this year. I don't know. Yeah, it, it might it might not happen till next year. We might not get enough new knowledge on Kenny Pickett. It, it might be one of the, like a year from now. We're going to be like, well, Kenny Pickett's got this new hot offensive coordinator, and with this group, he's going to be great in year three, coming off an eight win season. Yeah, or eight eight in one season because Mike Tomlin will never have a losing season. So,
0: I feel like the Browns are the higher variance team where. Yeah they could be really good or they could be bad. And the Steelers, it's like a smaller window, but the top, it, it's a little it, like they're inside of that variance. So it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I'll probably, I'll probably echo your answer there. I don't know, but I really totally plausible that the Steelers are bad and the Browns. I want to be clear. Um, all right. Well, we did our best. Steve, this was great. I feel like you helped me make sense of this division a bit. <laughs> I don't know if that came across at the end there, guys. If you uh, don't already subscribe, check out the PFF NFL show. You guys' intros have gotten shorter. I want to note that. I appreciate that as right a listener. Yeah, getting get into it. Right into the content. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, as much as I miss the six-minute digressions about rugby, uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for joining the show. This was great.
1: You got it, Mina. Thanks for having me. Whoa!